this morning. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans 5. This is real wobbly. Um, I, I would encourage you also, if you've got time tonight, I'd encourage you to come by sometime uh, between 5 and 7. Just come by the square. There is that worship on the square. It got canceled last night. The city um, canceled it. It's not a Stonebridge event at all. A girl at Kennesaw this fall, or maybe last summer, had a just felt like the Lord put in her heart to try to gather area churches for no other purpose than to worship and pray on the square for a couple of hours. And so she started calling churches, and she didn't know the. She just started calling and going around and saying, "What do you guys think about this?" And this is where we are. It's a pretty amazing what she's been able to pull off. So. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty good sign that the Lord is behind it, and so I'd encourage you just to come by. You don't have to stay for the whole time. Just come by. It'll be um, Chick-fil-A and Coke will be out there. I guess, well, I don't know, it's Sunday, so I don't know if Chick- Chick-fil-A was supposed to be out there. I'm not sure if they still will be or not. Um, but they'll have stuff and booths and all that for the kids, so come on. Um, I'm rarely embarrassed for being a Christian. I'm never embarrassed by God. At this point in my life, I've been a Christian since I was 12, I'm 33, so in 21 years, God's never embarrassed me, but sometimes I do get embarrassed by other Christians, um, and I'm a snob when it comes, so I will be the first to, like, I'm a snob when it comes to some of this kind of stuff, but I was looking, I can't remember where I was the other day, and I saw this t-shirt, and it just made me nervous a little bit. I think, do you have... Like that. Jesus, have you spoken to him lately? That's obviously a takeoff on the old Ford commercials. Ford, have you... There you go. All, go to the next one. All faith. You're in good hands. All state. What else you got? His way, subway. I think... Can we not come up with our own stuff? What else do you have? There you go. That's one of my... That's a classic right there. Jesus and candy. Is there another one? It was you who he died for. (laughs) My all-time favorite. I couldn't find the t-shirt. For all you do, his blood's for you. Y'all hadn't seen that? Oh, come on. I don't know what church y'all grew up in. Y'all didn't have those kind of bumper stickers? Cliches. We got tons of them in the church. Those are just a sampling of ones that I found this morning. There's more than that out there. But I think probably... One of the biggest cliches in Christianity is also one of the most important things that we can ever know, and it's that God loves us. That's a bumper sticker. It's a button. You write it on pencils. People, It's everywhere. It's totally trite, overused, has no impact, has no meaning. But I believe if you can get that, it'll change your life. And until you get that, it won't. And that's not even, to me, that's not even a matter of are you a Christian or not? Are you going to heaven or hell? This is a separate issue. This is, do you know that God loves you? And that's a yes or no question. And if you don't know, then the answer is, then you don't know. Then it's no. You'll know. And that's not a guilt thing. That's not a some people are better than others. It's none of that. It's just the reality. If you haven't received God's love, and if you don't get that down here in your heart, you're missing, I think, the most important truth in the universe. And once you get that, it'll change everything about you. 
So like I said, if you wonder if you know that, then the chances are you probably don't, which is not a judgment, and it's not a criticism. It's There's more for you. It's kind of like a Stephanie and Thatcher. I can tell Thatcher that Stephanie loves him all day long. It's a lot better for Stephanie to tell him. I can stand up here all day long and tell you that God loves you. It's a ton better when you hear it from God himself. And you can. I've told y'all before, I'm kind of emotionally retarded in a lot of ways. So when we sing songs like, Jesus, your love takes my breath away, I'm like, eh, eh. Not, what takes my, I don't know if anything takes my breath away. I don't even know what that is. Jesus loves you, but it's not in a romantic comedy kind of way. There's some people who, you're like that, you're not emotionally retarded like me, and you're in there. He takes your breath away, and you're, you're gone. I need something a little meatier for me, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The cross is God's definition of love and his demonstration of love. You need something meaty. The cross is it. You want to know that God loves you. Look back at what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. We've got a problem, though. We've all heard God loves us. You hear that. Whether you're in church or not, you probably start hearing that from the time you're three, four, five, six years old. Many of you probably heard that literally over a thousand times, but we don't get it. It doesn't get down here where we've talked about before, where we live out of. It's not in our hearts. We all, we get it up here in our head, but it hasn't penetrated into the core of who we are. And we've said dozens of times, we live out of our hearts. If it's not in your heart, you're not going to live out of it. It's not going to affect who you are or the way you live. It's just some facts up here. Two plus two equals four. Atlanta is the capital of Georgia. I've got an appointment next Monday at 12. God loves me. It's all just in there together with stuff that you know up here. Until it gets down here, it's not going to change who you are. And the thing is, you can't get it down there. You don't need to feel bad about that. It's someone we were praying this morning, and and someone said they felt like the Lord had five words for us. Quit striving. Look at me. That's when it comes to knowing that God loves you, you can't work that up. You can't make that happen. That's an, He has to show you. Again, Stephanie and Thatcher. Thatcher can't make Stephanie communicate her love for him to him. He just has to receive it when she does. We can't, there's nothing we can do to make God communicate his love to us. All we can do is ask him and then open ourselves to receive what he's trying to do. So, this is a heart thing, and again, it has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. doesn't matter how righteous or not you are. None of those things matter. This is a totally separate category, and it's an issue of revelation. Have, do you know that God loves you? Is that something that's in your heart? Does it define who you are? This is Romans 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That's what we just talked about. It's God's job to communicate his love to us. He does that through his Holy Spirit. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, 
Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for it, for us in this. While we, were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of the problems, I think, when we talk about God loving us is that we don't really know what God means by love. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. Therefore, God gets to define love. I am David, so I get to define what it means to be David Eldridge. God is love, and he gets to define what love is. But our problem is we live in this world, and we all tend to be somewhat self-centered, and so we project our understandings of love onto God. You may have heard this at some point. How can a loving God ever fill in the blank? What people are doing is they're projecting their understanding of love onto God. This is what love is, so if this is what love is, then how can God act this way? But they're starting from the wrong place. God is love. You're not. I'm not. No one else. God is. So he gets to make the definitions. Y'all probably heard of those five love languages that Dr. Gary Chapman came up with, five different ways people communicate love, words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, um, gifts, and quality time. And what they tell you when you're in a relationship, what you want to do is you want to figure out what the other person's love language is and do that. So Stephanie and Thatcher, y'all are in the front row, so every time. if what Do you know what yours is? There you go. Do you know what yours is? Words of affirmation. So what Thatcher, Stephanie's is words of affirmation. So the way Thatcher loves Stephanie, hopefully, is through words of affirmation. Thatcher said his love language was touch. What a lot of us tend to do is we love people in the way we want to be loved. That's what I'm talking about. And then we do the same thing with God. So the common pitfall for a lot of us is if Thatcher's touch, that's how he communicates love to Stephanie, by hugging her or high-fiving her or whatever it is that they do. <laughs> I would high-five. So, but she's not getting that. That doesn't communicate love to her. That's annoying or it's, it's something, but it's not love. But in order for Thatcher to communicate love, he's got to speak her language, which is words of affirmation, which might not do anything for him. That's not, that doesn't necessarily float his boat, but that's the way he needs to communicate love to her, and the same thing works the other way. That happens with us and the Lord. We define love in some way, and we're expecting God to communicate to us in that way. But it doesn't, it doesn't work because he is love, and what he said is, here's how you're going to know that I love you. He, doesn't, he didn't read that book. So he doesn't, it doesn't work that way for him. What he's saying is this is love. While we were sinners, Paul tells elsewhere, while we were enemies with God, I died for you. That's how I communicated that I loved you. I saw an article on the, um, it's been a couple of months ago, there was a woman who was pregnant, and in order for her to take her baby to term, it was going to risk her life. She had been recommended to have an abortion to save her own life. I can't remember what the technical medical term diagnosis she had was, but she didn't. She chose to carry the baby all the way through, and there was a bunch of articles or several articles on her and on this kind of heroic thing that she was doing as a mom. She was risking her own life for this unborn child. I don't know how things worked out when I saw the article. I think she was still pregnant and was getting close to delivery. I don't know how things wound up working out in that, but there was a, there was a lot there in terms of kind of her heroism. Paul says it's rare that anyone will die for a righteous person, though for a good person, 
someone might dare to die. But God died for us when we were sinners, when we were enemies of his. And that shows the depth of the love that he has for us. First John 3.16 says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's a definition of love. Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. In John 15, Jesus says, this is love. This, no one has greater love than this. You lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus laid down his life for us when we weren't even his friends. So you have a definition of love that God gives. We've said before, love is doing what's best for somebody no matter what the cost. God says, this is it. I died for you. And then we have this demonstration. It's all wrapped up in one thing, the cross, that many of us have, again, spent a lot of our life, Easter time, that's what we talk about. We talk about Jesus dying and rising again, and it can lose some of its impact and some of its meaning for us. And I don't want to get into all the gory details of the cross. If you saw the Passion of the Christ that came out maybe five years ago, Mel Gibson, it was a nasty deal. That was a gruesome movie. I went... And a lot of people have popcorn when they walked in, and they still have popcorn when they walked out. After about the first two minutes, you couldn't eat anything. It was just, it's gross. And that was just the physical side of things. There were emotional consequences. There were spiritual consequences. The Bible doesn't really dwell on any of that stuff. Again, if we were making a movie, we'd make it like Mel Gibson. We want you to know what he suffered, to show you how much he loves you. The Bible doesn't even do that. It just speaks. It says he was beaten with rods, and we just keep on reading. Go home today and let somebody hit you with a baseball bat. That's about what it would feel like. He was flogged. We just keep on reading. What they had was this whip, and it had several pieces of leather that had bones and rocks and metal attached to the ends of the piece of leather, and they just wailed on you. And it wasn't little people. These were full-grown men. Oftentimes, people who were flogged by Romans didn't even live. Jews only could flog someone 39 times in case they miscounted, because they thought over, over 40, would you're done. So they did 39 just in case they lost count. Romans didn't have that. They just kept on going until they were tired of hitting you. We just kind of read over that. Nailed to a cross. I've never had a nail driven through my hands, but I would think it would hurt a little bit. The cross, the whole deal. Some people lived days hanging up there. The whole point of it was to make people... Suffer, And the way you died, you know this is from suffocation. Your muscles got so tired, you just couldn't breathe anymore. And you died from asphyxiation. They gave you a little seat that you could kind of sit on, which actually just makes things worse because it just prolongs how long you stay alive. And that's just the physical stuff. He, Jesus was humiliated. This is gross, but most people were crucified naked. Totally. It was, you were supposed to be humiliated. He was mocked, he was spit on, he was betrayed by one of his 12 closest friends, deserted by everyone who knew him except a few women who hung in the back. His 12 closest friends, one of them betrayed him and 11 of them ran. You can see his, you know, this, the most devastating for him was what was happening with he and the father, and we don't even get, I don't even get that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So it wasn't just that Jesus somehow kind of took our sins on him. He became sin in some way, which I can't even imagine how a sinless person could become sin, how that would make you feel or him feel. He says that the right before he dies, my God, my God, how can you, why have you forsaken me? That's a strong statement. 
Why have you forsaken me? He felt totally cut off, abandoned by his father. All of those things are going on. We don't need to necessarily dwell there. All of those things are going on. And he does all of that because he loves us. That's what he says. God demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus did all of that for us. He didn't do it just to forgive us of our sins. Jesus didn't die to forgive you of your sins. He died because he loved you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He has to forgive you of your sins or the relationship is not possible. That's just the means to the end. The goal here is a loving relationship with God. That's the reason he did what he did. That's the reason he went through all of that stuff times 10 or 20 or 100 or whatever it was that we don't get. He did all of that because he loves you and you and you and me. Some of us, some of you maybe here, some of us struggle with identity issues and we feel bad about ourselves and think lowly of ourselves and maybe a little of it's kind of woe is me, self-pity. I don't know where all that stuff comes from, but we got that. We, we struggle with who we are. I would ask you to hold what you think of yourself in one hand and hold the cross in the other and see what wins. You think you're worthless. You think you're less than. You think whatever it is that you think about yourself or the devil puts near, however that works for you when you get in one of those negative spirals, hold that over here. And hold the cross, which is one of the most historically verifiable incidents in history. No one with a brain, seriously, this is not just preacher guy talking. No one with a brain is going to tell you Jesus didn't die. They might tell you he didn't rise again. We'll talk about that next week. But nobody's going to tell you he didn't die. It's almost as much as we can be certain of anything that happened 2,000 years ago without a video camera. That's about how certain we are that Jesus died. You're not, seriously, you're not going to find too many people with that think that are going to say he didn't die. We'll talk about the resurrection next week, but think about that. How you think about yourself and the cross and what wins. You think you're this, 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 and this, and Jesus says, God says, well, I loved you enough to die for you. Some of us struggle with just life circumstances. We're saying... God, I need you to do something in my life, and it ain't happening. With my job, with my family, emotionally, relationships, money, something. My body, physically, we're not seeing it. Okay, God loves me, blah, 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 look at my situation. My circumstances say, mm, not so much. If he loved me, he would address these issues. And again, not knowing your circumstances, but I would say, Whatever they are, hold that in one hand, what seems like God's inactivity, and in the other, hold the cross. What wins? You say he's not doing this in your life. Okay. I say, look what he's already done. Many of you in this room have been Christians for a long time. And you would say, you know what? Jesus doesn't take my breath away either. I don't get that. This whole idea, this kind of, romantic or feely or emotional side of Christian. I don't get any of that. I'm putting a whole lot into my relationship with God. I don't get a whole lot out of it. I know it's the right thing to do. It's the right way to live. And I figure heaven is better than hell and that's going to be my payday. That's when I get to cash the check is when I die and go to heaven. 
But if you were honest with yourself or us, you would say, you're not getting a lot out of it right now. If it's a relationship, it's 80-20, and you're the 80. There's just not a, you don't, you're not getting a lot of feedback from the Lord. And I think that's where a lot of people live and spend a, a really long time. Knowing that there's more, or thinking that there's more, wondering if it's just for kind of freaky people, or, or just what? Or something's wrong with them. What's wrong with me? Y'all are saying these things and doing these things, and you want to sing songs for 20 minutes, I'm done after two. What's going on here? There's nothing happening. I'm giving and giving and giving, but nothing is coming back this way. I just don't get what you're doing. And I would say a lot of Christians want, becoming a Christian doesn't fix that. Reading your Bible doesn't fix that. What fixes that is a revelation of how God feels about you. And there's nothing you can do except ask and receive. Again, I think that's where a lot of us live. And I would say if there was a way to crack open all of our hearts, there might be a lot of people in this room who would say, that's me. I love God. I know He loves me. And I don't know He loves me. It's not, a, it's, it's not stirring deep in my heart. And what you have, to me, because of the way I... This works for me. It might not work for you. What works for me is I think about this crucifixion. And I think about, man, it's one thing for somebody to say I love you. It's another thing for them to show it. What else could he do? What else could he do? And so when I start getting in those modes where I think, well, how come I'm not feeling this or things aren't going well in my... Whatever it is, think about the cross. And it kind of blows all that stuff out of the water. The cross was Jesus' love language or God's love language. That's the way he communicated to us. He'll give you good gifts. He'll give you quality time. He'll give you words of affirmation. He'll do all that stuff. But the big deal is the cross. You want to know how I feel about you. Read it. Think about it. Meditate on that. When Jesus sent out the 12 disciples for like their first mission trip, he said, freely you have received, now freely give. Who cares about all of this stuff? I've lived 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years without that. Why do I need anything? Jesus says, freely you have received, now freely give. And there's an order there. You can't give what you haven't received. God's, you can classify everything God does under the heading of his love. I would say God's power, that's just his love in action. God's grace, that's expression of his love. The gifts, everything that he does, you can fit under the heading of his love. So this is what God's saying. You need to receive my love. So here's my funnel. You need to receive my love freely, and then you need to freely give it. So here's my funnel going out to y'all. I got to do this, and then I can do this. A lot of us do this, and there's nothing coming in, and then we try to do this, and we don't have a lot to give. Or we do this first because there's so many needs, and we're sweet people, and we're trying to help folks and do all of those things. We're trying to obey Jesus, love people, care, serve, forgive. We're trying to do all of this stuff, but we haven't done this first, so we got nothing. 
And if you've got nothing coming in and all you're doing is giving out, you know where that goes. Burn out. Quick. Freely you've received, freely give. So if you want to do this thing, the Christian life for very long, you've got to get this part going. Until you open this up and can freely receive, you're never going to have anything to give. You have to receive before you can respond. And it's not just about loving other people. It's your own life also. There are things that the Lord wants to do in your own life, and you can't even, it'll be difficult to respond to him if you haven't first received his love. You'll just be doing it out of duty and obligation. And that works for a little while, but eventually that gets really old too. None of this is, I hope, heavy or guilt or any of that stuff. It's a little bit of a stream of consciousness. I'm sorry about that. Um, hard to follow. But there's nothing I can do. Like, I was thinking about that this week. It's almost pointless. And you might think, well, why in the world do you talk for 20 minutes or whatever if it's pointless? It is. I can't, whatever. I can't draw the pictures. We can't show enough videos. We can put in the passion and make everybody cry because they see all of the blood and guts. But none of that works. The only thing that works is us receiving We need a revelation, and God's the only one that can do that. I'm the only one that can communicate my love to my wife or my kids. Nobody else can do that. That's I've got to do that. Same thing with y'all. The people you love, you're the only one that can communicate your heart for them. And that's kind of where we are now. God's the only one that can communicate his heart for us to us. What we need to do is get to a place where we say, I need that. And if you can get there, and that was all I was trying to do was get you there, to a place where you can say, I need that. I need to know. I don't know, and I need to know. That's all you can do. And we'll trust God to meet you in that place. We're going to take communion. Bo's going to come back and do a little worship. We're going to take communion, which is, again, total cliché. It can be. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. And then we sit back down and wonder when the song's going to be over. This is what I would encourage you to do today. Um, Break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. That's the way we do it. There'll be stations up here. And what the people are going to say, the servers are going to say is, receive the love of God. That's what they're going to say. They're not going to say, this is the body, this is the blood. You know that. I'm saying that for you now. They're going to say, receive the love of God. And I would encourage you, to take that physical act as a spiritual act as well of God. We just read it. God sheds his love abroad in our hearts by his spirit. As you take communion, trust that the Lord will begin to do that in your heart. I'll be up here. We'll have some other guys who will be willing to pray for you. If you would say, you know what, I'm not getting the love I would encourage you to let us pray for you. We won't pray long. We'll just pray really quickly for you that the Lord over the course of this week would reveal himself to you and would reveal the love that he has for you. Because when he does, I promise you it'll change your life. Let's pray. Uh, The communion guys, y'all can come and get your... Are y'all going to be here and here?